Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. I'm your host, as always, Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast. Uh, Today, I'm joined by three guests, in fact. Uh, Firstly, we have with us Sabah Sharif, who is the Head of New Product Development and Corporate Strategy at Simcor. Sabah has joined me on the podcast a couple of times before, so she may be a familiar voice to some of you. Uh, but also with us today is Raphael Schur, who is a partner at EY Latin America South, and Mick Smothers, a managing director uh, who also serves as principal architect for the banking and capital markets practice within EY's financial services IT consulting team. Uh, so they're, they're here to talk to me today all about um, kind of Canada's model or framework for open banking, which is, is still sort of um, under review and is still being consulted on and, and developed. But obviously, there are going to be some key learnings from that, uh, from other open banking experiences around the globe, particularly from, from the US and from Brazil, but also from the likes of Singapore, um, the UK and Australia and, and other parts of Europe as well. Um, it's fair to say, I think that the approach to open banking has been varied each attaining to different levels of success. Now, though Canada has its own unique set of regulatory, industry and constitutional frameworks to consider, there's definitely valuable information that can be gathered from the implementations in the US and Brazil in particular that can ultimately help to define and also accelerate that made-in-Canada model of open banking. Uh, So welcome, the three of you, to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure to join. Well, first of all, Sabra, I'm going to come to you and perhaps you can just sort of briefly set the scene about where exactly Canada is on its open banking journey. Yeah, thank you, Ellie. And thanks for uh, the time again. It's always a pleasure. If you look at where, where Canada is, we're, we're certainly further behind than many uh, jurisdictions. But I think, as I've said before, that gives us a lot of opportunity. We can learn the lessons. We can apply what's appropriate for the Canadian market. And that's pretty exciting. But where we are right now is actually halfway through the government's expected implementation date of a open banking mandate uh, based on the appointment of our open banking lead uh, in Abraham. So we're we're partway through that journey. There are a number of consultations uh, within a closed framework that are occurring today that is resulting in further definition and standards around what are we going to do about accreditation? How are we going to approach disputes and liabilities, security standards and expectations related to the open banking ecosystem? That's more from a government-led and consultative industry uh, approach. In addition, there have been several um, activities within the industry, industry-led itself, related to advancements in standards and experience from organizations such as, uh, as FDX, the opinion of the CIO Strategy Council, So we're not quite there yet. I would not say that we have open banking in Canada, but we have a lot of momentum, a lot of interest and a lot of collaboration, uh, more so than I've seen uh, anywhere in the last uh, last several years. Yeah, that all sounds very promising, of course. Um, But as as you said there, Sabah, um, there are so many opportunities for Canada to to learn from from other jurisdictions. Um, so let's start with you, uh, Raphael. What, what were some of the key challenges that Brazil faced when it was implementing open banking? 
So uh, thank you for uh, having me here and to uh, uh, share the Brazilian experience. I think that the, the first thing that we need to understand is the philosophical movement around open finance in, in Brazil. And this is a regulated uh, uh, mandate. So Central Bank was very active on this. So it is a regulated initiative, but uh, it is totally based on market standards. And this is kind of uh, different from other uh, regions because uh, the central bank, the regulator, formulates what they want, but not how they want to achieve this. And it depends a lot on the participants to uh, get to an agreement on how things will be done. Uh, the initial challenges on this very complex uh, uh, framework, this very complex philosophy, uh, was uh, mainly on governance. So defining exactly what was the the things that should be shared, the type of information, the content, the, the, the standards, uh, the approach, who will be participating. So the whole idea of, of having open banking is to include more people in the, into the game, uh, have a more competitive market. But at the same time, the Brazilian uh, 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 authorities, they don't want to have a, a Wild West type of competition. So uh, the players are all regulated. You can join the, the the ecosystem if you are not a proper financial institution, even in its uh, lower uh, uh, type of regulation, but the, they are all regulated. So uh, the governance on defining all of those things, uh, the governance on the timelines, uh, what will be the first data that will be shared, uh, how it will be shared, how the uh, a consumer will be involved on this, that this this whole framework uh, took a time to to mature. So from the uh, initial discussions, the initial announcement in 2018 up to now, uh, most many things were negotiated among the different constituencies and the different uh, uh, players. Uh, and you can imagine uh, with a uh, uh, very uh, sometimes. A colliding agendas. So uh, what the incumbent banks wants to have, it's completely different from what the fintech industry wants to have. And, and it's completely different from uh, a particular very strong group that joined the, 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 the ecosystem. That is the non-financial companies, such as retailers, consumer goods, that uh, wants to have a, a, a bit of this, of this value chain, an additional bit, uh, such as payment uh, uh, initiation or even credit, uh, they have conflicting agendas sometimes that need to be uh, uh, negotiated and organized. So this was challenge number one. Uh, within the, the 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 initial phase, the second challenge that comes right after you organize the governance around it is the technology piece. Of course, technology, and then Mick can explain a, a, a lot better than I do. But the, the thing is that the legacy systems from the human banks, they were not prepared to extract those type of information. Those, are, they, those systems were prepared to only receive information, not to share and to give information. Uh, even the infrastructure in which they were based was not prepared to do this. So changing this, 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 the systems, the legacy, so you can get the data uh, that was agreed to be shared and and, and start transmitting it around uh, 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 the ecosystem, this was a, a huge challenge. But we also have a challenge on the other end, 
Because when you think about fintechs, you think about new systems. So they are uh, newer, they, are, they have better architecture, they are more open. But at the same time, they were not prepared to deal with this huge flow of data coming from uh, different institutions into those systems. Or even worse, they were not prepared to be the ones sending the information from their systems to other institutions because they were also senders. So there's a reciprocity. Everybody that's received data should send data. And, and the systems, all of them, were not prepared to do that. So technological aspects and the governance aspects were the are they are they still are the challenges that we're facing. But if you can add another thing and 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 make your short short question uh, answer your short question with a long answer the 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 challenge that i think that they that we are starting to face and everybody will face uh, within open finance is is not on governance and is not on technology but is what is really change in the life of the consumer uh, what are the new products that will be developed based on this data what are the new channels that people can use in terms of uh, during their 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 journey their consumer journey uh, that will make those products those financial service products credit uh, more complex type of payments buy now pay later how this will be uh, uh, delivered to them and right now what we're seeing is that with all the flow of information among the different players, there is not a lot of new products. There is not a lot of new things being offered in the market that really change the, the life of the consumer. So we, start, we are starting to see a lot of aggregators. So they're aggregating the data and, and, and that's cool, but you don't need to have tons of aggregators. You only leave one aggregator per person. I don't want to see my my extract my banking my banking uh, 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 balance on four different apps I, I I only need one so they are not that impactful uh, we we really need to see new products in terms of credit uh, investment opportunities and and different type of payments so this is the the next challenge uh, how this will change the way that the the players interact with their consumers. Some some really important points there, Raphael. I think um, your point earlier about you know bringing together so many different industry stakeholders when trying to get something like governance over the line is obviously something that Canada faces at the moment. I'm interested to hear from you, Mick, about whether any of those challenges resonate for the US, which obviously doesn't have that that regulatory driven approach, does it? No, that's correct. Uh, it's um, the the opportunity in the US around open banking, open finances is all opportunistic for the financial players that are in, in this, which makes for a little more of the Wild West, if, if you will. Um, trying, there are players, large players in the industry who, who would like to create the ecosystem and have some level of ownership and control of the ecosystem around op open banking as much as they can. Come to us and we can help you uh, we'll host your APIs. We'll have a sandbox for you to develop all those kind of things and kind of control the interface as, as much as they can. Because um, when you think about revenue generation opportunities, which is where a lot of the U.S. Finance, uh, FIs are going to look to, you know, can I monetize uh, um, the actual interchange of data some kind of way? Um, is there some kind of way to uh, um, 
actually leverage the data itself. Um, now, uh, I bet I was quite involved in, in some of the work that was done in Australia around the ACCCs regulation and CDR, which is very prescriptive from the regulator, almost the uh, you know the diametric opposite of, of of what we see in the U.S. And I, I think what's going to happen in the U.S. is we will see some retroactive, some uh, um, uh, uh, reflexive regulation that comes out once there's potential consumer harm to what happens to some of this data. You see some of it now. You know, you have um, CC, uh, uh, let's see, CCPA, I think, in, in California, uh, which is going to be replaced, I think, beginning of next year by CPRA, which is a little stronger data privacy regulation. And as you guys probably know, California being such a large part of the U.S. economy often becomes the de facto national legislation. So, so um, complying with the California regs will start to put some guardrails around some of this. Um, but again, this is so opportunity driven. Um, the industry is looking for where um, this uh, sharing of data, sharing of transactions, um, um, gives them uh, an advantage over their competitors with customer mindshare. And, and um, the, the, the fintechs seem to be a little bit out in front of this, but the, certainly the big banks are, are working hard on this to find a way to be in the middle of this to potentially control some of it. I'll also say that when, when you look at the leverage, uh, the ability to leverage standards in some of this, I know Saba mentioned FDX, um, which because FDX is very North American centric and it's it's very much designed around data exchange, is the logical place to start if you want to leverage standards and say, um, you know, if you can talk FDX, then the integration effort is is less so. Um, however, uh, Bayan, which is another standard, it's a more global standard, is really working towards data exchange. Um, they start out very much semantic model driven. Um, so anybody who's worked with Bion realizes that you wouldn't actually use Bion to implement APIs in version nine or even version 10 where they started defining some, but uh, version 11, which should come out soon, um, will actually directly compete in some ways with FDX. So now we have competing standards on top of all the competing ecosystems that'll potentially be out there and the, and the, specter of the regulators coming in after the fact and changing the rules. <laughs> so it, it's it's a little hectic in the U.S., but the opportunity is so big. What, one other thing I'll add that's kind of a difference between uh, the U.S. and Canada is Canada has a handful of, of, of large banks, really five big banks, right, and some smaller players. So the the, the scope of interaction tends to be smaller, the potential interconnects. The U.S., all over the map. So so there could be competing ecosystems that are actually successful in the U.S. just because of the number of FIs that are here. That will make for a very confusing customer experience. Um, you know, if, if somebody really wants to get that universal view and they have accounts in a lot of different institutions, but I think the FIs are going to say, listen, if we provide the best experience, we're going to control that part of the, the consumer group. And the fact that there are competing 
uh, um, ecosystems and standards is actually a way for us to retain those customers and keep them in our in our world. So ho hopefully that helps some. It's we've got uh, we've got an interesting few years ahead of us. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I think you have. I mean. There's so much, uh, so much to learn from from both approaches as well, but also something that that you both had a kind of similar challenge that you both pointed out, which was that kind of creating the level playing field and making sure everyone in the industry kind of has their say. And um, and, and Saba, how how important is that going to be if if you know for for open banking to be a success in in Canada? Yeah, it's interesting, although two uh, different markets, very similar challenges, as you mentioned, and why you're seeing this um, in an unregulated or less regulated market like the U.S., the same issue of which player do we pick, who do we work with, how do we do it, and at the end of the day, the one who suffers is the consumer. And you don't get the adoption that you're looking for. You don't get the innovation that you're looking for. Even in um, kind of looking at Brazil, I'll answer your question in a second, Ali, but to, if we look at the, the Brazil, Brazil numbers, my understanding is there's only about 7 million active consumer consents right now in that ecosystem out of a, a population of over 200 million. So the, the, the uptick isn't big if you don't create um, some capability for standardization or even, you know, uh, collaboration, et cetera, in that, in that ecosystem. So I do think Canada, Vic touched on it, is unique. I think our opportunity is to approach this with a view to enabling innovation by not fighting on the things that aren't important to fight on. And there are things that aren't necessary for there to be differentiation. And it's the behind the scenes in terms of the security standards. Those should be the same. The expectations on privacy and data protection and data governance, those should be the same. The way to get organizations accredited and, and ensuring that that is established, that should be common. So I think there's lots of opportunity. And if you can actually establish an ecosystem that is a mix of regulation, that is a mix of industry-led elements that you are starting to see in Canada, uh, we can solve for that. But if it's done independently and done in different ways, I don't think there's an opportunity for three ecosystems uh, in Canada. There's probably going to be a couple that are going to support, you know, financial institutions and support fintechs in the technological challenges that uh, in the in the experience challenges that both Raphael and Mick have identified. But that's not an area to compete in. It's not going to be time or money that is well spent. And that's a huge lesson learned for, for Canada and one where we can start to look at and apply a bit differently. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, just coming back to you, Raphael, um, I guess that that kind of future challenge, the the last challenge that that you pointed to, is is obviously really vital because open banking has sort of been, you know, the whole idea of open banking is that it would serve the consumer. And um, is that something that that Brazil is working on to address now? And and if so, how really? So uh, one of the things that uh, we we researched. Uh, at the beginning of the whole movement was who will be the most impacted consumers in terms of uh, give me some demographics on, on, on who will be adopting it or not. And, and we realized that younger people and uh, wealthier people are the ones that will be more willing to join the system while older people and uh, uh, less uh, uh, wealthier, I don't know how to say this in English, but uh, the poor people uh, will be impacted the last. Uh, 
But on the other hand, because all the agendas on financial inclusion, the size of Brazil, the, 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 the idea to provide better credit, and usually the wealthier people are not the ones suffering with uh, 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 expensive credit on, on, on uh, uh, outside the main institutions. So we realize that uh, we need to find ways to, to engage with the people that were not the ones naturally adopting this, uh, uh, this, this open, open banking initiative. And as Saba mentioned, uh, if you check the number of, 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 of requests or, or consents about sharing data, we are still far away from the numbers that we were thinking at the beginning. So uh, one of the things is uh, how can we really start showing that open banking is something that will benefit those people that were not the natural ones to, are not the urban, young and wealthy people. That th those are the ones that will be adopting it, uh, whatever is the, that those are the ones that were adopting it even before the regulation through the screen scraping type of, 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 of solutions that uh, were available. So we need to find ways on, on again, on creating products and, and taking those products to a larger amount of, 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 of people that do not fit the, 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 the standard, the usual type of, of, of public that will be uh, impacted by open finance. So this is one thing. But there are, there are other things that uh, uh, I need that we should uh, uh, fine-tune. Uh, if we knew what we know today, uh, what will you fine-tune uh, at the beginning of the journey? And one of the things is that some of the players saw open finance, open banking as a threat and not as an opportunity. And, and, and this is something that at a certain way uh, slowed down the whole process because I think that the wave is, is, is unstoppable. So we cannot stop this idea of open data. And, 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 and open finance is the beginning of it. Open banking is the beginning of it. But uh, this idea that I am the owner of my own data, this is something that uh, uh, it, it's coming. Uh, we cannot stop this. But some of the players saw it as a threat and they said, oh, if we can slow down as much as we can this, 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 this type of thing, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, it will be better for us. Uh, from one aspect, uh, the... the let's call it some of the cash cows that they have that were uh, in a certain way secured by not, not, not sharing the data with the others. So how can I, I make this uh, uh, slow? And on, the other, on the other hand, because of the costs uh, associated to all this initiative, it, it costs a lot to you to make those changes on your systems, adopt those new standards. Uh, so, so I think that the... If we were designing this again, uh, and, and we tried to put this on the table during the, the initial discussions on this governance phase that I mentioned, but uh, it's what are the, the benefits that those players would have if this happens faster? So if, if everybody engages, if everybody, as Mick said, uh, instead of having three, four different networks, uh, if, if I can show them that this uh, uh, creating a, a, a unique standard, a unique facility, a unique network, how this will make things better for all the players, uh, how this will reduce costs, for example, for all of them to uh, get uh, data on the clients or make decisions or, or, or 
transact, uh, if we can show them this this benefits and 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 share the benefits among everybody that will be participating, I think that this will also speed up the the process. Uh, we are now showing that some of the things that were scared to some of the large incumbents, for example, they are not happening. So let me give you an example. Uh, most of the big banks thought that they will be the data donors, while the fintechs will be the data recipients, because they have all the data, the others do not have all the data. So uh, I will be the one losing the data that it took me like uh, decades to accumulate. But at the end of the day, what we're seeing right now is that the, the, the incumbents are receiving interesting data that they can put inside their models and be more competitive, including on their own offers. So we're seeing a lot of data going inside the, uh, into the incumbents, not out of the incumbents. And, and if they knew that before, uh, probably they would be more aggressive on, uh, because everybody wants to have more data. So if, if, if I knew I would be the one receiving the data, not the one giving the data, hmm, maybe I'll do things faster than I did it in, in, in the beginning. So this, for, for example, is, 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 is a, a last an example that, uh, the incumbents will not be the one losing the data. They will be the ones gaining the data uh, uh, from from the different players, and uh, and this is this is cool. So this will help the the whole thing to 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 create better products, create better offers to to the clients. So again, I I will be uh, looping around this, but I have a lot of examples of things that the big banks created based on the the new regulation and the new standards that are benefiting them right now, and they were fighting against it in the beginning. So uh, uh, the, the picture changed a little bit. And that's really interesting. I mean, Saba, perhaps it's different with the Canadian banks then because they've seen how open banking has played out. Do you feel that there's maybe less resistance than other countries have experienced from, from the incumbents? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is definitely one of the benefits of um, hindsight. We are, I would agree with Rafa, uh, uh, the opportunity that we see is for Canadian banks to leverage this data to improve their customer onboarding, their KYC processes, their fraud detection, their customer experience, credit adjudication type conversations, wealth management, personal financial management. This data is in the beginning, possibly primarily going to be exchanged amongst financial institutions. I definitely see an appetite and an understanding of that here. We've seen a number of bilaterals that have been executed by Canadian financial institutions with players to say, I'll willingly share this information to support the SMB or the commercial market. So I, I think uh, we are not just um, hearing about it because it's the conversation I have in many of my discussions with financial institutions. We're seeing real application of that. And um while we definitely think there's certainly opportunities over 2,500 fintechs in Canada alone that leverage it in some way, shape, or form already, they will certainly benefit. So the good news is we have a fintech market. It's probably not as advanced as you'll see in other, uh, other jurisdictions. They will certainly benefit. I think the initial data when we're talking of the scope that's been recommended by the advisory committee will uh, in many ways benefit financial institutions. And it's their opportunity to, uh, to strengthen their customer relationships as a result. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And, and Mick, I want to, to bring you in on this as well and, and also kind of steal a question that actually Raphael kind of came up with, which was if you were to go back, you know, to the very beginning of, of, of it all in the US, 
what would you what would you fine tune there? I mean, maybe maybe your answer will be similar, but I have a feeling it might be slightly different. It will be slightly different in in I, I think there's a lot of similarities uh, in, in that there are a lot of the incumbent banks, the the legacy banks that were very reluctant to participate, and I think that's still the case in in some areas. Um, you know, they they very much always had a need and a desire to control the customer experience and um, uh, make sure that that it was a one-stop shop for the customer. They didn't want to, you know, except for in a few cases, spin something off. But as they started to create, you know, some of the uh, real-time payment capabilities and some of the other things, you know, most of the big banks, you know, have, have a Zelle integration now so they can do, you know, peer-to-peer payments and, and, and those kind of things. I think if if a couple things, I would have liked to see the regulator provide some guidance at least on what the banks could expect. Um, our, our regulators tend to be very reactive. That's part of the problem. I, I would recommend, by the way, Canadian any any jurisdiction out there look at consumer data right out of Australia as the potential ultimate regulation around that you would have to comply with, because that's something that I think uh, regulators um, would use as a model for this. And so that means consent, revocation of consent, uh, ability to delete data, all all the, uh, you know, the need to be able to disclose data and how it's being used, all those kind of things. If you haven't built that into your system, you can expect a massive backlog of of um, findings that you're going to have to address that will come out of future regulation. So it's better to build that to start with. So that's another thing I would say at the very beginning is in the absence of regulation in the U.S., at least anticipate what you think is going to come, because I don't think all banks have done a good job of that. Um, uh, You know, building a consent model into your data exchanges after the fact is very expensive. So, so build it in on the front end. Uh, that's one thing I could say. Um, I'd also say that figure out what your model is going to be, because um, there are several. And there, there is, um, you know, the, the classic open banking. We're going to exchange data on behalf of a customer so the customer can get a complete record. But there's also aspects like that are adjacent, like banking as a service. I don't have a banking license, but I want to offer banking products. How can I do that easily? Partner with a bank that exposes a lot of their services in a headless fashion through APIs that are very similar to what they do, if not the same that they use for open banking. So when you start to look at all these potential, all these possibilities out there, um, try to plan for that in advance. So when you architect what the interchange is going to look like, how you authenticate, who you authenticate, um, that's all uh, there. And how you manage authorizations and how you manage consent. All that stuff needs to be built in from the very beginning. I, I don't think that's been the case with a lot of the FIs. Yeah, some some really big learnings there then. Um, and And I think it's also interesting, maybe if we think about kind of going back to the consumer as well is that um you know Raphael was was talking there about kind of uptake among uh, the brazilian population and and perhaps the the fact that open banking yeah the younger generations and those who are wealthier um 
will immediately kind of adopt open banking. Um, that does leave, you know, large swathes of the population who perhaps need a bit more convincing. But obviously, you know, within each of your own uh, the countries that you're sort of representing on this podcast, um, consumer behaviours and attitudes to, to banks and financial services generally is all quite different. So, Sabah, is, is that something that Canada needs to bear in mind? Because I think, is it fair to say that Canadian consumers have quite a, a bit of trust in, in the kind of big five banks anyway? Yeah, I think, Ellie, that's uh, absolutely, and it's evidenced by the number of uh, uh, consumer accounts within those five financial institutions. So it's it's an interesting question, too, when you look at the number of people who have already consented to their data being shared with a third party through screen scraping primarily, that's over 4 million in Canada by some estimates, uh, some more recent estimates that it could be as high as 6 million. So that's the first tranche of consumers that are probably converting. You're going to have the conversion issue to begin with. So what is this different consent? Why am I now reconsenting to this other ecosystem? Why is it better? Why is the alternative not so good? That is going to be a communication and an education challenge for sure that we have to overcome. And then as, as both um, Mick and Raphael indicated, well, why would I use this? I don't know that it is. I am no customer is going to be coming to you and saying, Thank you for open banking. I really appreciate what you've done for me. It's going to be an in-the-moment, possibly embedded um, service that they are receiving where they're going to need to make a decision to access certain services and agree to consenting to sharing their data in order to do it. That experience is going to be really critical to getting the adoption and getting that right and making sure that that's consistent and you don't have differences and variations across the ecosystem. So um, I think that uh, is the opportunity that we have here within Canada is because there is so much trust, the banks probably have an opportunity to accelerate that change. And it's only to their benefit because it reduces screen scraping, it reduces uh, credential sharing, which is um, you know just not a good way to go about doing this. This is to their benefit to enable an opportunity that moves us away from that ecosystem and it and helps um, them not only, again, strengthen their customer relationship, but also ultimately protect uh, protect Canadians as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and interesting to get, you know, an idea of, of where those numbers are just for screen scraping, because, you know, that that does help kind of build a picture of, of who might be on board from, from the very start of, of open banking. Um, Mick, I'm keen to hear about you know, US consumers, because obviously, as you alluded to earlier, I mean, the US is a much bigger market, you know, there's more than just five large banks there. So um, how has kind of open banking been received by the consumer? And how has the industry kind of helped or, or hindered that, I suppose? So so I'd say um, the, the uh, US consumer isn't directly aware of open banking. That That's an interesting aspect, because, because it's not um, something that's directly marketed. The connectivity is there, but we've had the screen scraping mechanisms here for a long time. You got, you know, Mint, and uh, you know, there's several other. Bank of America has their own, where they can screen scrape a bunch of other institutions and give you, you know, my portfolio view. Um, but again, that's you're you're giving whoever that that um, aggregator is or that um, that platform to give you that single view your actual banking credentials, and they are getting that data as if it was you logging into those sites, um, which is inherently insecure. Uh, a, a lot of U.S. consumers have been uh, beaten down in terms of, you know, uh, paying attention to how secure their data is uh, because um, they're constantly 
having to, you know, manage passwords and logins and everything else. So, you know, giving this stuff away to make things simpler for them is something folks have kind of gotten used to. Um, I, I think part of it is education. This is a much more secure way to um, integrate your finances across multiple institutions. Um, uh, I think historically U.S. consumers have kind of lost the, the, the concept of, of protecting their own information. But if we could get back into that, say, you know, here's a safer way to do this. Um, uh, again, most most folks are looking for convenience. Um, so 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 again, open banking is an enabling uh, um, technology. The ecosystems are, are enabling the consumer to have a better consumer experience. That's what they care about. And if we can make the case that you're doing this in a much safer fashion and one where you actually control the interchanges yourself, um, uh, that that may resonate. Uh, but again, the average U.S. consumer, they just want to hit the easy button, right? I just want stuff to work the way I want it to. And if I give up a bunch of my, um, you know, personal uh, information to do that, well, that's okay. I'm getting it free, right? <laughs> that's how they look at stuff. Yeah, convenience is is obviously a big driver, isn't it? And um, Raphael, have have you found that you know convenience resonates for Brazilians or? Or is it something else that that really um, persuades them to kind of share their data? What, what what's important in Brazil? Yeah, I was looking through some files. We did a, 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 a as I said, we did a, a more uh, academic model around the factors that will uh, make a consumer to join uh, the the open banking. And I was trying to refresh it from my memory so I can share it with you right now. So what we measured, apart from the demographic data, as I said, wealth and, and, and age, uh, what we concluded here is that the, the individuals that are already, already used to use fintechs and that uh, uh, like this digital experience, they will be obviously adopting uh, open banking uh, uh, as fast as they can. So if someone already uses screen scraping uh, uh, solution, uh, and as Saba said, uh, you need to show him that there are some benefits migrating from what, one type of content to the other. But once he's convinced to do that, uh, he will do it, and, uh, and 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 his life will make it will be safer, it will be easier. So everybody that uh, and and I usually say that if if you if you look at my home as a a as a sample, uh, my kids they are already adopting that stuff. They don't care about a lot about their privacy on the data. They share all the data they can they can share with everybody else. This is something that the newer generation do, do uh, they, they, they do. But uh, uh, the fact is that uh, if they are used to use uh, uh, those devices, uh, if they have the knowledge and they have the habit of using those digital solutions, they will be adopting it easily. The question of trust that that Saba mentioned, this is a tricky one, because uh, it it plays a, it, it can plays a role as an enabler, or it can plays a role uh, as as a inhibitor factor for adopting it. So because Brazilians asked Canada, uh, and I didn't know that Canada has this high trust. Brazil has a high trust on the banks uh, because of this high trust. If the banks, 
if the large incumbents are more open toward the, the adoption of open banking, so if they are moving the agenda, people will tend to adopt it. Oh, my bank, I trust my bank not only with my money, I trust my bank also with my data. So if you think on the modern concept of the 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 digital concept of a bank, it, it is not only the place that 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 secures my money, is also the place that secure my data. So if they are willing to, and they are, they feel that the, this this flow of data is is okay, is secure, is 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 safe, is it, so I will be adopting it. But if the big players adopt a more resistant way of 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 entering the the the, the system then this resistance will flow to the consumer and the consumer say, oh, if my bank is not promoting this, why will I be using this? Because a fintech uh, said that this is something that they can do to me. So uh, I don't know if I'm explaining myself, but, but the, the, the thing is that trust can be an enabling factor, an accelerating factor, but it also can be an a, 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 uh, inhibitor. So... It depends a lot on how the big banks and, and and as you said, Canada has those large players as Brazil has. Uh, uh, the the way that you engage the large players makes a lot of difference. The way Brazilian did is that in the beginning they were compulsory. They need to 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 be part of the system because the regulation said that they need to be there. So they were playing this as a regulatory uh, uh, agenda. Now that they realize that this is also a business agenda, things are starting to move a little bit faster. So if we can show the big banks that this is a market, this is a business agenda, not only a regulatory one, they can leverage the stress that they already have with the consumer to make the things happen faster. You need that buy-in from the banks then, and, and hopefully the people will follow if, if they've got you know, a lot of con- trust in, in, in their banks. Especially for the countries that the, the population has a, a, a big trust with their financial institutions. That's really interesting. I think you know, there's, there's been quite a few uh, learnings there from both Raphael and, and Mick, hasn't there, Saba? What are the main sort of two or three things that you've taken away from what they've said that, that you think Canada would do well to, to learn from or, or to implement? Yeah, it's it, it, it's been fantastic, and I, I love that um, each uh, jurisdiction is kind of in its own journey, uh, in its own stage of the journey, has unique elements. But it's what what are the things that you can take away from each of those implementations or strives towards implementations that are that are really key here? What we have seen across the board, regardless of, of the Canadian experiences, that's exactly what's happened. Every uh, organization or sorry jurisdiction that has implemented open banking has said, well, what didn't go so well there and how would I do it differently? Sometimes not to a benefit though. <laughs> and so uh, it doesn't always work out that you're like, oh, well, they didn't do that. And so I'm going to start with this broad scope of let's make everything available and accessible and that will be better, won't it? Because I'm addressing the you know people's concern. So I think that's another maybe lesson learned is don't always assume that just because it didn't work in your in a particular jurisdiction, Taking a different taking a, a different approach is going to be the right thing to do in Canada. So it doesn't mean we necessarily need to go to, hey, let's make everything open and accessible. Um, and I think that is the lesson learned is I'm a big proponent of iterating through this. We do not have to get it 100% right. We have to get a 
first, like a bit of a sandbox going, let's get some APIs out there. Let's make this a risk-based ecosystem that takes into account, like maybe we're starting with just not super exciting, but we're starting with balances and then we're moving into transaction data. And then we're going to do a little bit of historical information that teaches you a lot along the way. And it's the thing that innovation typically you know, says you should do. Take small chunks, validate your assumptions, test and learn and, and evolve. So the lesson learned for me is to, you know, in the Canadian market is not to assume that it has to be done in a big bang approach, which I think is good. I do, if I just point to some of the things that Raphael specifically mentioned, the technological issue, and you really hit it home for me when you said it wasn't just for banks to prepare and make their data accessible. It was the challenge that a fintech had when they were all different and they they had to figure out what do I do with the fact that this API might be slightly different or the availability might be slightly different or the data quality. So those challenges and I think addressing that not just for one side or the other is really important. You know, what Mick highlighted uh, for us in terms of customer data rights, I think you, you hit a nail on the head, which is that is the opportunity for Canada to focus on a CDR type approach. And that's going to remove a lot of the inconsistencies, result in a better um, consumer ecosystem and experience. It also shouldn't just be limited to banking. It should be about my data and my data in the place that I want to access it and who I want to give it access, give access to and in what scenarios. And it should be, you know, that that is, I think, the, the bigger lesson learned for for us as a country and where we should focus. Yeah, there's lots of lots of positive learnings there, and um, and I think it's you know important to say, isn't it, that you know Canada will undoubtedly make some mistakes along along the way because you know these things never run smoothly, and um, and like you say, something that didn't work somewhere else, and you know could actually work in Canada. So. All it leaves me to say really is, is thank you to the three of you for, for coming onto the podcast today. So thank you to Saba, Raphael and, and Mick for a really engaging, fascinating conversation. Um, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. Thank you, Ellen. Absolutely. Sure. This is a very passionate subject. So and uh, at, uh, available for more discussions in the future if you, if you want. My thanks again to my three guests today, Saba from Simcor and uh, Raphael from uh, EY Latin America South, as well as Mick Smothers, uh, who joined from EY as well in the US. Uh, great to hear from those three about, you know, where Canada can go with its open banking journey next. To catch up on recent episodes of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, Go to the on-demand section of openbankingexpo.com. You can also listen to this podcast series across all the usual places on Spotify and, and also on iTunes. Until next time, goodbye for now.